Um, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Acts chapter 9. Um, we're going to pick up um, pretty much exactly where we left off last week. Whenever um, Jim reached out and contacted me and asked if I would be willing to preach, I just said yes. And, and then he was like, a couple weeks later, so let me tell you what you get to preach on. He's like, um, we're going through the book of Acts right now, and, and I'll be in chapter 8, and I'll finish it the week before it's your turn. Way to Damascus. God spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was merely strict blind. He was led by other men to Damascus. There a man named Ananias received a vision, said, go to Saul, put your hands on him, give back his sight. Ananias obeyed, and, and Saul immediately said, scales fell from his eyes, and he could then see and we know it was, it was this turning point where Saul went from one who was persecuting members of the church and looking to put them to death, became a believer in what he was seeking out to destroy. If you see the verse behind me, it's Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. This is one thing God said about who Saul is. This is what God said to Ananias about who Saul was. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. When God looked at Saul, he saw him as a chosen instrument. He is a chosen instrument. Now, chapter 9 tells us not just the story of Saul after his conversion, it tells us the story of a man named Peter. And, and you guys, have you've been here before and you've been going through the book of Acts or you know anything about the Gospels, you know who Peter is. Peter was a follower of Jesus Christ from the early days of Jesus' ministry. Peter gets picked on a whole lot, doesn't he? He does. He's, he's the guy that we pick on because, well, what happened to Peter? He walked on water. He denied Jesus. We like to pick on Peter, right? We do. And, and I don't like to pick on Peter. I have a hard time picking on Peter because I'm just as much of a put-my-foot-in-my-mouth mess-up as Peter is. But today we're going to look at two chosen instruments. We're going to look at Saul, and we're going to look at Peter. And we're going to look at the story that we're told in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to see something absolutely amazing about these two chosen instruments. They are completely different, but they're both in tune to sing the same message. Let's ask God to bless this time before we really dive in. Father, I just thank you so much for this day, and I just thank you so much for this time that we're we're here together looking in your word. I pray, Lord Father, more than anything, that you prepare our hearts and our minds to hear what you have um, for us to, to see, for us to understand. I pray that we can look at this story that happened so long ago and, and learn something about today. Learn something about what you are asking from us. I pray also, Lord Father, that we see that, that from this text, as we look at two chosen instruments, that we can even see if we are in you, if we have been born again, if we are your son and daughters, we are your chosen instruments as well. We have a part to play. We have a, a song to sing. We have a, a tune of our own that you have given us to share. I pray that today we are challenged 
and that we are encouraged to carry out how you have made us. And we ask all this in the name of your Son. Amen. We'll pick up in verse 20, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 20. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Saul got saved, and we're told here in the text that he immediately went to work sharing the gospel. Have you ever met somebody who just got saved, right? They just came out of all sorts of this like sinful lifestyle. God has forgiven them. They've received grace. And what do they do? They go and they tell everybody that they've met, Jesus saved my life. I used to do this, and now I don't anymore, and God saved me. God's grace is for you, and it is amazing. And we see Saul immediately. We're told he got saved. He got his strength gathered back. And what does he do? He goes straight out to the synagogues, sharing the message that Jesus is Messiah, that his grace is enough, that he used to want to kill followers of the way, followers who believed Jesus was the Messiah. Now he himself was one. That if he could be saved and forgiven, that grace is for everyone, and it's for you too. And we're told he went to the synagogues, to the very place where if he arrived without being a follower of Jesus Christ, he would have shown up as one of their heroes. But he is going there now with this new message that Jesus truly is the way. He is immediately going to work, bringing this message to the place where he was once one of their heroes, to get them together on the mission that he had to put more Christians to death. But he goes there offering them true life in Jesus Christ. We see him immediately there getting to work, going into the synagogue. Just think about how much of a life change this is. He was once wanting to murder Christians, and now he, being a Christian, goes to the very same people and said, hey, we're wrong, Jesus is the Messiah, believe in him. He goes, and we see this change in him. But we see something else. We also see his reputation went with him as well. Not only did he go there to the synagogues proclaiming Jesus, all the people were there. They heard and they were amazed because they remembered who he was. They remembered why he was on his way to Damascus in the first place. It was to kill Christians. His motives are immediately called into question. I had kind of a wild past myself. I I don't know if uh, there's one person in this room who really knows my wild past because he was there with me through most of it. My friend Matt, I'm talking about you. Our reputations probably would precede us a little bit. I'm glad none of you knew Crazy Tim before Tim came to Christ. Hi, Josh. How are you, buddy? I love you. (laughs) Reputations can precede you. Saul's reputation did too. Here he was coming to a place that should look to him as a hero, and they they said, weren't you coming here to execute the very people you're, you're proclaiming? 
And it created all sorts of confusion because his focus now was on pointing people to the gospel as opposed to killing people who believed that. His focus now was convincing them that they were wrong as opposed to enlisting them to help him carry out this mission. His focus was on the gospel. He spent time there sharing it faithfully, so much that we were told that he had convinced many, many, that Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 23, we're told, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering in a basket. Now, this phrase here, many days had passed. This is a, a really interesting phrase because we're, we're not told how much time has passed, right? But all historians would kind of agree, and even Paul tells us in Galatians, many days is three years. Paul sent, spent three years in Damascus, three years sharing the gospel, three years interacting with the Jews there in the synagogues. He had spent three years saying, Jesus is the Messiah. This wasn't an overnight thing. This wasn't a, a few weeks thing. He spent years there, years proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And while he's there, apparently he's doing such a good job of it, they decide to get together. And they decide that they're going to do to him what he initially was going there to do, and that's to put him to death. He was so effective in communicating the gospel and sharing this message that Jesus had given him to the Jewish people there that they were plotting to take him out. And in fact, we're told that they're going about it in kind of a nefarious way. We're told they were watching the gates for him. Now, the gates were around a city, and, and what would happen, we, we're, we're, it kind of tells us a little bit about how Paul or Saul was sharing the gospel. He wasn't just there in Damascus, he was going around to the settlements that he knows that around there he was traveling around, he was traveling around that area. They knew he was kind of moving around Damascus, sharing the gospel, but he would come back to the city, it was kind of his home base, so they were watching the gates, they were looking for him coming, so that way one day he would just leave and then never return again. This was their plan to make it look like he just disappeared, that he just fell off the face of the earth. They were looking for an opportunity. They were watching the gates to take him, to put him to death. He became their number one target. Where he once was breathing threats against believers, they were now breathing murderous threats against Saul. What a difference a few years can make whenever you become a chosen instrument singing the praises of our good God. They just wanted to make him disappear. They wanted this message to end. The Christians in that area, the followers of the way, the people he'd been serving alongside with, got word of this as well. Got word that they were coming after Saul. They help. They help him escape. They help him get away. And we're told here in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, 
that he did leave. He was lowered from a basket. And when he had come to this place called Jerusalem, Jerusalem was about 150 miles away from Damascus. So they had let him escape. They let him out. He traveled to Jerusalem. When he had come to Jerusalem, 150 miles away, he went to there and he attempted to join them because he had been working for the sake of the gospel there. He'd been working, proclaiming that Jesus is the way, that he's the truth, the life, that he is the Messiah. He goes there thinking they're going to welcome him with open arms. He goes there to the, the disciples, to the apostles, and they reject him. They were afraid of him. His reputation preceded him. They knew who he was. They might have even heard rumors of what had happened in Damascus, but they did not know. They did not know if this was true. They did not truly believe that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, you can kind of see where they were coming from too, right? Because last they heard, he had death warrants to take disciples and put to death. They were thinking he's probably not really deciding. He's probably trying to infiltrate us to put us to death. They did not believe he was a disciple. He was rejected. Just let that sink in a little bit. He was serving faithfully in Damascus for three years, so much so that the believers there loved him so much whenever they found out people were coming to kill him, they helped usher him out. He was a leader there in Damascus, and as he was in Jerusalem, they rejected him. They did not believe he truly was saved. His reputation still carried a lot of weight, so that 150 miles away, his past, the things that he had done before and who he was before Jesus Christ said, why are you persecuting me, was speaking louder. More time passed. We're told in, in verse 27, and this is what's so interesting about this book, is because for us it's just a few verses, but this is at least three years, maybe even longer. Okay, because here he is in Jerusalem serving. We see him here in Jerusalem with a guy named Barnabas. Now, it had to have taken him a very long time to even build this relationship with this man. Okay? We're really not sure, and this is just a little aside, we're not all that sure of how much time has passed. Because here in this section, we don't hear about Saul again till chapter 13. And there's beliefs that from the time he was saved till we hear from him again, about 17 to 20 years passes. And that's just in a short time span of a few chapters. We're in chapter 9, you'll be in chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, you'll hear about him again. 17 years in that time span. Three years from where he is now, from when he just got saved. Time is passing and we don't know how much time. But we see as he is there in Jerusalem, as he is serving, as he has met Barnabas, Barnabas figured out who he was. He heard that he truly is a disciple, that he truly is a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only that, that Barnabas took him. He brought him before the apostles. He declared to him his testimony is true. He truly was changed. He truly was converted. How Jesus had appeared to him, how he spoke to him, 
and how in Damascus he had served boldly there for years. We all need a Barnabas in our life. Especially if you've come out of a life of sin, you need a Barnabas who can encourage you, but you also need a Barnabas that says, hey, I have seen the change in this man. I have seen him be born again. I have seen him go from death to life in Jesus Christ. Barnabas spoke out for him. He went together with Barnabas, and and they began preaching in Jerusalem, boldly preaching Jesus' name. And, And we see these two together even more in the book of Acts. We see these two together all throughout the next couple of chapters. Barnabas truly knew who he was. He truly knew Saul was born again. They began to serve together in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9, verse 29. He spoke there and disputed against the Hellenists. They were seeking to kill them. He went, the brothers, when they heard of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church all through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. Saul's in Jerusalem. He and Barnabas are serving. They're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens again? He's doing such an effective job of it. The Jews of the the age, the Jews of the period, the Hellenists, they were Jews, but they were Jews who spoke Greek, and they were adopting all sorts of Greek customs into the Judaism, and it's, it's a geeks, theology geeks love, and we love talking about these things, but really it's just like a Jew who spoke Greek, okay? They were taking Jewish culture, Greek culture, kind of mixing them together. They heard Saul's message. They wanted to execute him. They wanted to get rid of him, just like what happened in Damascus. And they're the brothers there, the, the believers there, they took him, they sent him out, they sent him to Tarsus. They pretty much said, just, just go home, that's where he was from. And this really is the, the last time we hear from Saul until the end of chapter 12 and beginning of chapter 13. And from the time we see him again to here, this is about 17 years worth of time. So he just kind of falls off the radar for a couple chapters. Time begins to pass. We're told that in Jerusalem and the gospel everywhere, the church in Judea, Galilee, Samaria, they had peace. They were being built up and the comfort of the Holy Spirit was growing and the church was multiplying. This is good news. Now I said we're, we're going to have a tale of two instruments. So right now we're kind of finishing Saul's tale until Jim picks up with him in a couple of weeks. Let's, let's pick up with a man named Peter. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Peter. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And immediately that man rose. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. The second instrument that we start to hear the tale that they are, they're telling is one of great hope. It's one of a very remarkable miracle, isn't it? A man who is paralyzed, a man who is bedridden. 
There is so much action here in this verse. Peter hears, Peter goes, Peter speaks. Guess what? This guy who's paralyzed is now healed. We're kind of contrasting this from what we heard about Saul, right? Where Saul, everywhere Saul went, people were trying to kill him. And Peter, there's so much action here. Peter goes, Peter shares, person who is paralyzed becomes him. They can walk in and become whole, and it is absolutely amazing. People heard about the miracle that happened. They're hearing about the power of Jesus Christ. People turn and they believe and they put their trust, they put their faith in the God that Peter's there to represent. They put their faith in Jesus Christ, and it doesn't stop here. It gets even more miraculous. Verse 36. There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that people Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So we see earlier Peter hearing a paralyzed man. Now in a town nearby, there's, there's a woman named Tabitha. You know what the word Tabitha means? The, the word is, we see the translation is Dorcas, but it's gazelle. Wow, what a cool name. She's gazelle-like tendencies. We're told a lot about her character. What are we told about her character? She was a lovely woman. She was full of charity. She was full of love. The people in that community knew the intensity of which she loved people. They knew her charity. They knew her character. And a member of their community died. Now they heard this story of a God who made a paralyzed man walk, and they reached out to Peter, who was far away, and they said, Peter, come. Come to us. Peter, come quick. The woman that we love, Tabitha, this wonderful woman full of good works and chariot, she died. Please come. Now, we don't know, and we have no indication whatsoever that what's about to happen next has ever happened before in the early church. Okay? We know Jesus Christ died and was resurrected, but we have no evidence or no indication whatsoever that, that Peter or any of the other apostles have been a part of something like this before. So we know something about the faith of this group of people. We know that it's based in their understanding of God's power. It's based in their understanding of the story that they heard of this man who was paralyzed who now can walk. I don't know if they had any kind of expectation whatsoever besides just having Peter, a follower of the way, come to them. And we're told that Peter comes to this house. We're told that Peter rose in verse 39. Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room where she was. The widows stood around and weeping. They were showing tunics, their garments, that Dorcas made while she was still with them. Peter put them all aside. He knelt down and pay, prayed next to Tabitha. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. 
When she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 41. He gave her his hand, raised her up, calling the saints and widows, and presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Wow. She was dead. Her body had been prepared. She had been dead for probably a few days. Enough time even for Peter to travel from where he was to where she was. They were gathering. They were mourning her loss. They were sharing, I love, garments that she made. They were sharing. He dismisses them. He sets them aside. He kneels. He prays. And he says her name in the power of God. Brings her from death back to life. What a mighty God. He overcame death in Jesus Christ, and now we see a woman, a follower of Jesus Christ, being brought back to life through that exact same power. And we're told that this news continued to spread. Not only was a paralyzed person now walking, someone who was dead and dead for days is now alive again. There is power in Jesus' name. There is power. Peter, we're told, and all that they had done in this miracle, this all brought attention to followers of the way. Many believed in the Lord. He stayed in Joppa for many days. Again, we're not told how long that is but he was there for a while serving. We're told many people there followed the way of Jesus Christ, followed after the Lord. We've looked at these two tales, and I, I told you, we, these tales are, are two stories of two different chosen instruments. Saul, who was a chosen instrument, and Peter, who was a chosen instrument. Now I have three thoughts I want us to look at and kind of unpack dealing with with these two chosen instruments. Are you guys ready? Yes, you say yes because I'm almost done, right? And you know that if you pretend like you've been paying attention, it will encourage me to end quicker, right? Those of you who weren't here last week, you realize I'm telling the truth. If I think you're nodding off, we'll be here for hours. But if you're with me, we'll go right through it. That's a deal. The first thing I want us to see Chosen instruments are made to play their tune. I know this sounds all girly and lovely, but it is so true. Have you ever picked up an instrument that was handcrafted by a master? Have you ever touched, I play guitar, oh, I, I pretend to play guitar, I own one, and I pluck strings every now and then? I'm a good pretender at a guitar, but I got to touch a guitar that was handmade by someone who knows what they are doing. And it is one of the most beautiful sounding instruments. Chosen instruments are made and they're finely crafted to play their tune. Guitars are made to rock out or sound amazing. Pianos are made. I don't know what you do with a piano. Whatever you do, they're made to do something. Drums, I know what drums are. You pound on them, right? Sort of? Yeah, well, you pound on them. I played saxophone. Yeah, I know. I played saxophone. My mom, yeah. This is a sensitive subject, so don't ever bring it up. <laughs> I didn't sell it 
for a guitar. I didn't. Didn't happen. She didn't work really hard to pay for it because it was a really expensive saxophone. This didn't happen. This is just what if, right? And we're just talking in what? What could happen? Chosen instruments are made to play their tune, right? Saul was a chosen instrument. Peter was a chosen instrument. Saul wasn't, and Peter weren't both pianos. One was a piano, one was a guitar. They were different, but they were all intricately made by God to be very unique. Now, both men, both men were doing very similar things. They were both leaders in the early church, but they were both incredibly different. They were made by God to share their tune in the way that they shared it. And when they worked together, they could make some beautiful music. They could share the gospel in ways that people would just find remarkable and unbelievable. When they didn't work together, it would be a band playing out of tune. And it's happened before, and I've been a part of that band. They were not both made the exact same. They were made to be different, but they were both made for a reason. And that's to play this tune, the tune that Jesus Christ is Messiah. They had different backgrounds and different stories that made them uniquely qualified. Peter spent three years next to Jesus. Peter walked on water. Peter saw Jesus and said, I don't know that man. Peter then saw Jesus, and Jesus said, I love you, feed my sheep. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke very boldly in front of men who wanted to put him to death. Saul, Saul was one of the top Jewish rulers of his day. I mean, he was top notch. He gives a little exposition a little later on in one of his books of how good he really was. He had all sorts of authority. Saul not only had that spiritual authority in their day, in their time, Saul's reputation was one of going after followers of the way, and he apparently was good at it. And he even found out and acquired means to put Christians to death. He was set out to do this when Jesus Christ saved him. And when Jesus Christ saved him, he gave him a message and said, I want you to take my message to people who have never heard it before. People who your culture would consider were unclean. They were night and day different, but they were both chosen instruments and they were both used by God to proclaim the message of God. Now, if you are a son and daughter of Jesus Christ, of God, if you are one of his children, you are a chosen instrument. You are uniquely made. You are uniquely, uniquely, that's not a word, uniquely made to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is Messiah. And you may do it incredibly differently from the way that I do it. And you may have a background that's incredibly different from my background. But if you are in Christ, you 
are a chosen instrument. And you were made to play that tune. Chosen instruments were made to play that tune. And chosen instruments also are made, and we still face opposition. Wow, okay, this one is, it, it seems common sense, doesn't it? But at the same time, whenever you just get saved, or whenever, I remember when I first got my call to ministry, I was like, in two years, I'm going to be the pastor of a mega church. Somebody's going to bring a helicopter to come and pick me up to go preach the gospel somewhere. I know it. You just get saved. I'm going to share the gospel with so-and-so. I'm a chosen instrument. I'm not going to fail. You can be a chosen instrument because if you are in Christ, you are a chosen instrument, and you can still face opposition. It doesn't mean you will have 100% success rate when you go out and say the gospel or say that God loves you or Jesus loves you or when you play the tune that you were uniquely told to play. I mean, we're, we're told here and we're, we're told about Saul. And why in the world would a preacher get up and preach on Saul and say, hey, we should all go out and share the gospel and people might want to kill you? That's a horrible sermon illustration, isn't it? And that's what we saw all through chapter 9. Every time Paul got really good at what he did, people wanted to kill him. Wow. But even God told Paul that. He said, you are my chosen instrument. You're my chosen instrument, and guess what? You will have opposition. You might even suffer for this. Just because you are a chosen mission, instrument does not mean it's going to be easy for you. You are a chosen instrument by God. And yes, the tune that you sing can be resisted by a hard heart. The church that you serve in cannot appeal to everyone, can go through rough times, or even you yourself can go through personal turmoil. You can go through depression. You can lose a loved one. It doesn't change God's love for you or the fact that God has uniquely made you. It just means... It's life and opposition is going to come. Paul tells us, and, and I love Saul in 2 Corinthians. He gives us a, a little bit of a resume of his life and ministry. And if this doesn't encourage you to share your faith today, you're not paying attention. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Aram? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more times had countless beatings. How many beatings is it that you lose count? <laughs> it is a lot. I can count. Like my, my brother's pretty big. I got beat up quite a bit. And believe me, you realize what this mouth can do. It can get in trouble. I can get beatings every now and then. And I can count how many times I've, I've got a pretty good beating. Lost count. What else did he say? Often near death. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Do you know what that, that is? 
40 lashes is what was called the death sentence. So if they gave you 39, they could let you heal and then do it all over again. 40 lashes should kill you. Five times he received 39. It gets better. Three times I was beaten with rods. He remembers that one. Once I was stoned. Not the, the good kind of stone that you remember back in the day. It's like, yeah, that's that, not that kind of stone. They took rocks and threw it at him. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. And night and a day he was adrift at sea. How many times do you have to get in a shipwreck before you start going, I don't think I want to get on that boat. Or if Paul's like, hey, let's get on this boat and go share the gospel with so-and-so, you're like, you know what? I remember the last time you got in a shipwreck. I probably don't want to do it. It happened again. I don't want to get in it. Three times he was shipwrecked. Night and day he was drifted at sea. Frequent journeys. Danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from his own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Dangers at sea. Danger from false brothers. Toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights. Hunger and thirst often without food. And cold often. If you're wondering where I'm getting all this, it's 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22 through 27. Just because you are a chosen instrument by God does not mean your path moving forward will be easy or will be without opposition or even without suffering. In fact, the opposite is kind of true. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It's, it's just the path if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you follow a a guy who picks up a cross to to die, we may have to do the same. And I know this saying is is a cliche, but I I love it. And the saying is, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. God is good all the time. Even in your hardships, even in the obstacles, even in the opposition, he is still good. All the time. He is a good God, is he not? So it means that our our opposition, our sufferings, the difficult circumstances in our life, well, they might not be good the way we immediately define it. There may be a line in this song, God is telling us to sing, to proclaim how great he is. And we might not understand it at the moment, but when we share that song, that story of what Jesus Christ has done in our life, it's going to open the eyes of someone who's in a very similar circumstance. Our God is good. We are his chosen instruments. And yes, we will have opposition sometimes, which is why I love that we looked at these two stories. Because the story of Saul is one of opposition. He does a good job and people want to kill him. But Peter, what happens with Peter? We see what happens with Peter. Chosen instruments are made to be world changers. He was a paralyzed person that God healed. And Peter was an instrument to be there. All praise God's power and God's goodness. Woman was dead and brought back to life. All through God's goodness. You are a chosen instrument and you are unique. You, I keep saying uniquely. Let's just make it a word. Can we do that? 
it might make this end a little faster because I keep having to adjust that I keep saying uniquely. So we're rolling with it, right? You are a chosen instrument, uniquely made. I'm owning it. You might face opposition. You probably will face opposition. But you're uniquely made and you are a chosen instrument and you will, by sharing the message, change the world. God is still good. The God who made a paralyzed person walk again, the God who brought a dead woman back to life, is still doing those things today. And not only that, I want us to, to hear how exciting these two miracles are, but there's something else even more exciting. Verse 22 tells us that through Saul's proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, many believed that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 31, the church itself multiplied through Saul's work of being a chosen instrument. Verse 35 tells us the residents of the town who saw the paralyzed person come walk again believed in Jesus Christ. And the gospel grew there. And, and Tabitha, oh, believe me, when that dead woman came back to life, She, hey, you're my best friend. She was, I have validation now to use the word uniquely. She was uniquely changed. She was brought back to life. When chosen instruments do what they were created for, even in the face of opposition, the world will change. And just in chapter 9, the gospel spread 150 miles. From Jerusalem to Damascus, and Damascus to Jerusalem. The world has changed because the gospel spread even farther. And here we are in Smyrna, Tennessee, talking about how great our God is and how much power he has that he brought a dead woman back to life. You are uniquely made. Share the story God has put in your life even in the face of hardship and in opposition. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of changing this world. And I don't know why he chooses to use these wonderful chosen instruments because he could do it all without us. That's the wonderful thing about it. He invites us all along on it. Not only does he invite us, he makes us and gifts us talents that we can use to let the world know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He can do miraculous things. He can take someone who has a horrible reputation and make him brand spanking new. He has a new heart and new desires. Church, do not lose hope. Do what you've been made to do. Let the people around you know Jesus is Lord. Do not grow tired. Do not grow weary in doing good works. Even in the midst of struggles and hardships, do what you were made to do. And you can change the world. 
Because you are uniquely made to let the world know that He is Lord.